But if you could, please turn with me to Numbers chapter 32. And while you're doing that, I want to praise the Lord for Brother Magic and Lady Cookie Johnson in the house on today. Amen. And I want to praise the Lord for Brother Terry and Sister Tish Estelle who are visiting with us from Texas. Amen. And I saw Brother Chaz Shepherd out there. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise for him. I'll have you all know that a couple Easter, I don't know, how many years ago was that? That you did, you know, four or five? No, I thought it was longer than that. But anyway, my brother Chaz came and, you know, participated in our Easter service and completely tore it up in the best way possible. And I realize that there may have been some friends that have joined with us since then, and you were not able to see the blessing that he was. So we're going to see if we can't work with him sometime soon to come be with us again sometime. Amen. Let's praise the Lord for all of our very special guests on today. It's a bad brother right there. Amen. Numbers 32, verse 1 and 2. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer, to Eliezer the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation saying, and go down to verse four, and they said, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Now at this time, the children of Israel are nearing very close to the time that they will move into the land of Canaan, that they will be moving into the promised land. They have just spent close to 40 years wandering in the wilderness as nomads. 40 years living on the move. 40 years seeing the regret and the remorse of the older generation that chose not to believe in what God had said, that chose to believe the negative report. They've just spent 40 years burying their parents. 40 years wondering if God was going to forget about them because of the sins of their fathers. 14,600 days of vowing that they would not make the same mistake that their parents made. Now, when I thought about the children of Israel as they finally moved into the promised land, I had always assumed that they were on one accord, that they were all on the same page 
as they moved into the promised land, into their inheritance. It was easy to assume that they were all unified and their desire not to be anything like the previous generation that let their fear and their unbelief keep them from moving into their inheritance. It was the promise of a land that God had given to Abraham and that they as the children of Abraham were going to inherit a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that they would be able to worship the Lord in in peace. How many of you wish that you could just have a little bit of peace out there? Not a whole lot of peace, which is very good, but just a, a little bit of peace. If it's not one thing, it's another. You might be fighting that illness or ailment in your body. Or, or you might be healthy, but someone else in your family might be sick. Or everybody in your family is healthy, but you might be having a, a tough time in your marriage. Or you might be going with something with one of your children. Or everything might be right with your family, but you might be having a, a tough time on the job. Or you might have more bills than you have money to pay them. Or you're healthy and your family is healthy and everything's all right when, with your relationships and you, you got all of your bills paid finally and then your car stops or your plumbing goes out or your TV breaks down or you, you stub your toe. I don't know. Always something trying to steal your peace and steal your joy. Now, the children of Israel are on the verge of moving into their place of promise, into their place of peace. But apparently, as they approach the area of the Jordan, at the border of Canaan, the land of promise, two and a half of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh, a group possibly numbering a little more than about 500,000 people saw that the land just east of the Jordan where they had set up camp was a good land for livestock. Good cattle country with large rolling plains and lots of good grass for grazing and they decided that they did not want to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. They wanted to stay in the land that was good in their opinion for the raising of their livestock. Our text reads that they went to Moses and the other elders and said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Now here they are with the promised land in reach. Right over there. It's visible on the horizon. A land that they had been being told about since their parents left Egypt. An inheritance 
that their parents were not ever able to attain. And these two and a half tribes don't wish to go in because they want to stay in the land that was good for their cattle. Just think about it. This lets you know that not everybody wants to move into the future that God has for us. Some of us are happy right where we are. We've gotten comfortable. Which brings us to our title today. Look at your neighbor and say, so close, but so far. Let's give the Lord a praise. Mm. So close, but so far. Now, obviously, this made Moses very upset. The children of Israel were about to embark on the greatest challenge that they had ever faced as a nation. God was about to stop the flow of provision and manna from heaven that had been falling for 40 years. They were about to have to work for themselves. They were going to have to fight now. In the next few verses, Moses angrily responded to their request by saying, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? He went on to recount to them that tragic time 40 years earlier when he sent spies into the promised land and how those spies came back and gave a negative report and how that negative report made the people of that time doubt the word of the Lord and not move into their promise. How many of you know that good news inches along slowly? but bad news travels faster than a virus. He reminded them that everyone at that time over the age of 20, their fathers and mothers and uncles and aunties and grandparents died in the wilderness because they didn't believe. And here he is 40 years later seeing that same kind of spirit. I'm pretty sure that to Moses at the time, it looked like history was repeating itself. He said in verse 14 of the NIV, and here you are a brood of sinners standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all of this people in the wilderness and you will be the cause of their destruction. Now Moses was of the thought that God might punish all of the children of Israel again or even outright destroy them. He might have even wondered if he just needed to kill off those two tribes. Just... Imagine it. Now, although the reason for them not wanting to move into the best that God has for them is given in our text, 
I cannot help but wonder about the, the mind state that kept them from wanting to move into God's promise for their lives. What keeps us from wanting to move into the promises, the blessings that God has for each one of us? By looking at the text, we can see that their decision was based on their desire for material gain and prosperity. You see, in their travels on the way to Canaan, God gave the children of of Israel victory over the kings of Shehan and Og. So outside of all of the treasure that they took with them from Egypt and defeating these kings, there was more than one million 12,500 heads of sheep, 108,000 head of cattle, and 30,500 donkeys that they now had in their possession, spoils of war. And I know that most of y'all might not understand that being from the city, but a, a few of my folks in here are from the country. They know exactly what I'm talking about. How much would 100,000 sheep or 108,000 cattle make on the market today? Some of my my folks from Texas, is that a lot of money? Oh, yeah? That's a lot. All right. (laughs) That's a lot. Okay. Now, that's completely understandable. That amount of livestock represents a substantial amount of income to be gained, especially if the culture that you are a part of sacrifices a lot of livestock. So outside of coinage and bartering, livestock represented currency. It seems that those tribes had their minds on their money and their money on their mind. Hmm. They neglected to think about or remember that the fact that their best blessing, the blessing that God had for them and, and the blessing that God had promised them was west of the Jordan. They never stopped to consider that there may have been even bigger fields for their cattle west of the Jordan. They hadn't seen it before. How would they know? God had promised them the best land that they could imagine. I mean, the land just oozed prosperity. I mean, you'd make money just by living on it. All of that had been guaranteed to them, and they said, nah, we're good right here. They seemed to care more for their cattle than they did for God. They didn't seem to care whether or not they were close to the presence of God who had been visible to the midst of Israel literally all of their lives. I mean, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. It rained bread from heaven, daily miracles. They didn't seem to care whether or not they saw the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel or even if the other tribes would be successful in obtaining their inheritance. Their hearts were with their cattle. 
Their hearts and minds were fixed on settling down with their families and their stuff. They weren't married to the Lord of Israel. They were married to their livestock, to their possessions. Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had managed to make it impossible for themselves to enjoy the most precious part of belonging to the nation of Israel which is not the milk and honey, not the rolling fields, not the prosperous land, not the material gain, but closeness to the presence of the Lord. That is the most important part. They wanted to stay just close enough to the presence of God to enjoy his blessings, but just far enough away to be able to do their own thing. Hmm. There's some folks that don't want to get too close to the fire. They think that if they just get in too close that they'll have to act this way or dress this way or do that. They want to stay just far enough away so they can still do them. So if they get in trouble, they can call on the name of the Lord. But by staying on the east side of Jordan River, of the east side of the Jordan River, they were further away from the presence of the Lord. They wanted what was best for their possessions and material desires more than they wanted what was best for their spirits. And they mistook that material gain as being the true blessing when it was in fact their concern for their material blessing that kept them further away from the presence of the Father. Since their minds and hearts were on their cattle, they never took the time to consider the implication of their actions. You see, by setting up east of the Jordan, they set up a natural geographical boundary between them and the rest of the children of Israel that settled west of the Jordan. They were no longer unified in one land. There arose skepticism and mistrust between those on the sides of on each sides of the river. In Joshua 22, there was a disagreement, and the brothers on the west side of the Jordan had beef and were about to go to war with the brothers on the east side of the Jordan. So east side and west side have been beefing for a long time. Peace to all my brothers from New York. Amen. Praise the Lord. But they also never considered the fact that being east of the Jordan made them more vulnerable to attack. In 1 Chronicles 5 and verse 26, it reads, And the God of Israel stirred up the heart of Pul, king of Assyria and the spirit of Tilgath Pilneser the king of Assyria and he carried them away even the Rumanites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh and brought them to Halah, Habor and Hara and to the river Gozen even unto this day. Now this particular passage in 2nd Chronicles or First Chronicles happened 152 years later. They decided to settle east of the Jordan. 
Every person who had been involved in deciding to stay east of the Jordan was dead by that time. But their great-grandchildren, their great-great-grandchildren paid the price, and some of them never saw their home again. We sometimes forget that the decisions that we make today in the passion of the moment reverberate for generations. Amen. I don't want to make a bad decision today that my great-great-grandchildren have to pay for. I don't. But oh yeah, they had the land that they wanted. Good land for the raising of livestock, but they were so far away from their brothers that there was no one to help them when the devil came. We must always remember, friends, that the safest place in the world is smack dab in the middle of the will of God. Amen. The safest place in the world is right there in the middle of yes. Hmm. Their position was vulnerable to the enemy. It's sad how we sometimes allow our lives and our homes to be vulnerable to the enemy. The enemy will start on the east side of the river first. If your home is there on the east, then you'll be in the direct line of fire. The east side of the Jordan is a place where God is not as important as he is on the west side of the Jordan. The nature of our lives in this world keeps us so caught up in what's going on around us that we can't even focus on the things of God. The world makes it hard for you to even think about focusing on the things of God. He keeps you so busy during the day. And when you try to read your Bible late at night or pray at night, well, you know, you know what happens there. You'd be sleeping three minutes. Even if you were wide awake before, as soon as you start reading that Bible at the end of the day, you just, you know. That's why we recommend that you read your Bible and pray early. The word says early will I seek you. (laughs) But sooner or later you realize that it's been days since you thought about your spirit and that's only when you get in a situation that makes you want to pray for us help me Lord and you ain't been thinking about God all month long but it's much easier to grow cold and slide back or backslide when you're not in the place that God wants you to be amen Again, the safest place in the world is in God's promise. The safest place in the whole world is in your yes. There is promotion in your yes. There is freedom in your yes. Somebody say hallelujah. Let me know y'all out there. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) And in this text, we're not talking about the world or those that we would call sinners. The children of Gad and Reuben and Manasseh were church folk. They knew God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it is a sin to have material possessions or to be wise in business. As a child of God, you're supposed 
supposed to come correct in your business. You're supposed to be a good steward over that which God has blessed you with, but it is my sincerest belief that they would have been even richer and even more prosperous if they had just settled west of the Jordan like they were supposed to. Like the word says, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. But the only way that you're going to get the milk and honey is by living in the promise and in the will of your creator. Can I get an amen? Now, like he had for the children of Israel, God has made a promise and a future for the life of each and every person that is alive today. The reason that the two and a half tribes were not willing to move fully into their promise was because of their desire for a better bottom line. But it doesn't have to be a desire for more money that keeps us as people from moving into our promise, our destiny. It could be fear that keeps you from standing on God's promise. It could be your past that you think that you were so wrong that what you did was so bad that you don't deserve to stand on the promise. Or it could simply be a lack of imagination. Well, I could never see myself doing something great, something like that. You forget that your imagination or God's imagination is a whole lot bigger than yours. But it could be simply a simple lack of imagination regarding what God can do in your life. But he has put something great inside of all of us. He has put something great inside of you. His promise to us is an existence that goes far above and beyond any expectation that you could ever imagine for your life. Before he formed us in our mother's wombs, he knew us. He created the world when before he even created the world, he had each one of you in mind and he put something inside of you. I need for you to believe me. Before he even said the words, let there be, he put greatness inside of you. He put potential, endless potential inside of you. He put promise inside of you. Somebody give the Lord praise on this morning. He put greatness inside of you. I'm going to keep on telling you. Yet even in the face of this promise and in this future that God has for each one of us, we can still be tempted for one reason or another to settle just outside the promise that God has for us. We can still be tempted to settle just east of the Jordan. How many of us here are living below the promise that God has made for us? How many of us have chosen to settle east of the Jordan? I mean, you've been coming to West Angeles for a while now. 
You've been logged on and looking at us and looking at us for a while now. You've been hearing about how God has been blessing everyone else, but the blessings have not seemed to come to you yet. But I declare to you today that now is the time to cross over. Now is the time for you to cross over into the life and the existence that God really has for you and to stop settling for less. How many of you are tired of settling for less? Now is the time for you to move into your divine destiny, into your divine purpose. Now is the time for you to shift. Who in their right mind would want to settle just outside of the promised land? Who wouldn't want to go in? Who wouldn't want to partake of the promises that the land has to offer? If I know that God has something for me, but it's in the middle of a storm, guess what? I'm going into that storm. I'm trying to be all in. Give him praise if you're ready to cross over into his promise. Give him praise if you're ready to shift on this morning. Hallelujah. I'm not in a relationship with God because I don't want to go to hell or because of what I can get out of the deal. I'm in a relationship with God because he is my source. I want to be close to him, not just because I want to live, because I don't want to live a half life. I want to be closer to him because the closer I am to him, the closer I am to him. Our prayer every day should be, Lord, show me what you can do with my life today. In the middle of all of this, I believe that the one thing that saved them, the one thing that kept the children of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh from being judged is what they did next. In verse 16, after what I can imagine was a very tense conversation between the leaders of those tribes and thinking about what happened back in the day 40 years ago, the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh came up with a compromise. It says in Numbers 32 and 16, Then they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. But we will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of the Jordan. Moses said, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for war and all of your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies before him and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession 
before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note that you have sinned before the Lord and that your sin will find you out. You see, beloved, that even though they had received what they thought was their blessing, the tribes that stayed east of the Jordan did not forget the commitment and the promise that they had made to the rest of their people. They still went west of the Jordan and fought alongside their brothers until they all received their inheritance. Oh, let's give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. But those of us, those of us that have been blessed are commanded to follow the example set by our Savior and we are to fight and work so that those who have not received their inheritance may take part in the promise. It's not okay just for me to be saved and to be blessed. It's for me to bring somebody else along. It's for each one of us to fight so that somebody else that does not know the beauty and the greatness and the mercy and the love of the Lord to be able to come on in. You see, when we enjoy God's blessings in our lives and don't take the time to remember those that are still bound in their past, we are doing the exact opposite of what we are commanded to do. We are living outside of God's true purpose and promise for our life. Our purpose is to draw others to Christ. <laughs> Beloved, we are to go fight so that others who don't know our Savior can realize God's promise for their life. My question to you is now this, men and women of God. Are we who have a relationship with the Lord just going to sit in here? having church or are we going to fight to help our brothers and sisters just outside on their way to hell realize God's promise for their life that is the question I know it can be scary because most of us have forgotten what God has promised us we've forgotten what it means to live in God's promise when Peter stepped out of that boat and walked on water, he was stepping out on God's promise. When Jesus arose from the dead, he was stepping out on God's promise. He promised that he was the resurrection and the life. But what has God promised those that believe on him? You see, our word is full of God's promises to us. The entire Bible is our promise. We are what it says we are. We have what it says we have. And if God said it, that settles it. All we have to do is believe and walk in it. Hallelujah. My boys love reminding me that I promised them something. They know that if I made a promise, daddy got to keep it. All they have to do is say, Dad, you promised. Oh, let's give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. When you give the Lord praise, when you worship him, you activate his promises in your life. Stand, everyone stand up in here and give the Lord praise. 
Let's activate his promises on today. Hallelujah. Isaiah 49, but it says, Thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible be delivered, for I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. That's a promise. Everybody say, Lord, you promise. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you shall revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. That is a promise. But my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Promise. And we all know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Say, Lord, you promise. It shall come to pass that before they will call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear them. That is a promise. Say, Lord, you promise. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those that fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those that seek the Lord will not lack any good things. Say, Lord, you promise. By his stripes, we are healed. Promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. That, my brothers and sisters, is a promise. When the enemy rushes in like a flood, my God will lift up a standard against him. That is a promise. He says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you shall be also. Say, Lord, you promise. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Promise. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That, my brothers and sisters, is a promise. Let's worship him on today. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. You are good. Lord, we love you. 